You are listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, sponsored by Natural Stacks. If you are into biohacking, performance, or getting more out of life, this is the show for you. For more on building optimal performance into your life, check out OptimalPerformance.com. for a way to change your life. You got it. I kind of think in some ways, selfishly, that it should remain a secret because it is such an advantage. Natural Stack. Start optimizing your mental and physical performance. Optimize yourself. All right. Happy Thursday, all you optimal performers. Welcome to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Muncy, and I want to welcome in this week's guest, Dr. Josh Benstock. Hello, hello. Josh, thanks for hanging out with us this week. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Yeah, this is going to be really cool. So for our listeners, you guys heard doctor in the intro. Josh is a chiropractor. He's also an Olympic volleyball player. So this is going to be a really cool episode. As, as you guys know, we like to bring you both um, the science and the practice. Um, we also like to work in the mental and the physical topics. So Dr. Josh is going to hit all of those with us, for us. So sit back, relax, and get ready for an awesome episode. Before we do that, a couple of housekeeping notes. As always, go to OptimalPerformance.com to see the video version of this and you can get the show notes um, along with any of the links and resources to the cool stuff that Dr. Josh um, brings to light for us in this week's episode. Also, make sure you head on over to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. Let us know how much you like the show. Give us any feedback. And with that, we're going to get this thing rolling. Um, Before we hit record, I was asking Dr. Josh about his recovery. I let him tell you about his injury and his surgery, but Josh, you mentioned a couple of really cool things about mindset, um, visualization, and how that's so important to success. So I want to start with that. Uh, Tell tell our our listeners what happened, what your operation was, what your recovery has been like, uh, and then let's let's really dig into the mindset. Cool. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I had a uh, a slap tear, so that's uh, pretty much a tear of the cartilage of my shoulder joint, what kind of holds the the bone and socket, kind of lay terms, to keep it uh, nice and tight. So when you tear that, it's not like a muscle you can rehab because there's no blood supply and there's no dynamic, you know, contractural of it. It's just kind of a static piece of tissue that uh, you can't really um, rehab. So yeah, the surgeon's like, yeah, if you don't get surgery, you'll never play at a high level again. And even if you do, you might not, to be honest, I got to be straight with you. Uh, the complications are <laughs> something like that I never dealt with. <laughs> Sorry, dog's getting all fired up here. But um, yeah, so, you know, I, was obviously pretty apprehensive to do it, but I really had no choice. Um, yeah, long story short, it was it was a pretty long road. Um, I was in a sling for kind of six weeks, and then after I took that out to get my range of motion back, you know, to even move an inch of external rotation was like the worst pain I've ever experienced. So for me to feel like I could go from here to here was, you know, tough tough to imagine. And I I specifically recall, you know, having. Uh, golf club in one arm and pushing my arm this way so I can get some 
wow. external rotation. Yeah, it was the worst pain. And I'm watching, you know, my uh, one of my coaches from before at the Olympics at that time, and I'm just thinking, like, I I don't know how am I supposed to get there? And it was, you know, uh, a pretty close. I don't know, you know, clinical depression, or whatever it is, but it was uh, it was a dark time for sure. But um, yeah, you know, now mean, looking back, I can, you know, yeah. how do you how do you deal with that? I mean, like you said, you're you're used to being at this Olympic level at, at the very highest level of what you do. And then you're relegated to having to use the other arm and an, and an object to move your injured arm. I mean, that's that's got to be just devastating to your psyche. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I can't say that uh, I had a, a, a positive outlook at that time. But uh, I was fortunate to have a strong support crew around me that showed me the um, strength and you know, how profound uh, positive thought can be when I was younger, you know, I just thought, you know, tangible things were that. And I didn't think an intangible things such as thought could affect, you know, uh, your physiology or your hormones and, and brain chemistry and whatnot. So um, it was uh, something that taught me a lot of resilience. Um, I was out for like, yeah, just about a year and um, being able to, you know, look back at it, it was a blessing in disguise because it taught me to be a student of the game and, you know, have to be strong in other areas of my game that I wasn't and uh, things like, you know, vision and poise and um, stuff, the accuracy, things that um, I was kind of lacking before. So um, it was just kind of a day-by-day process, but I had no choice other than to look ahead and plan for a healthy recovery because that's the mindset that you need to do. I mean, in all areas of life, but that was my specific. Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, having some respect for, for the UFC fighter, uh, is Conor McGregor, but you mentioned that, that, you know, he's, you, you respect the, his, it's one thing to think it, it's another thing to say it and how that, uh, increases your accountability. So how did you implement something like that? Yeah. Um, you know, there's definitely some areas of, uh, you know, I was talking that I, I don't like some of the disrespect he showed to uh, Jose Aldo. But in terms of his mindset alone, that was something that I really resonated with because um, the intention he had with his thought, you know, the way he spoke to the media. It's one thing for an athlete to, you know, one of the highest performers in the world to to have a goal and, and see yourself doing it. But then to actually say it, uh, it takes a whole another level of, you know, confidence and uh, you know, accountability, like I said before. And he was just so calm about it too. It wasn't in a way where, you know, he's yelling and I'm going to do this. And it wasn't like a big ego thing. He was, you know, quite Zen about it. Um, and he just kind of spoke it like that's the way it is. And, you know, even after the fight, he's like, to be honest, I've, I've seen, cause they were surprised. They're like, you were so much more emotional over your other fight before that when you won. And this one's a bigger win and you're just, you know, pretty calm. And he's like, cause for me, this is something that I already seen, you know, I've seen it a year ago. Um, I think about it so frequently. I think about it so specifically and um, he equated and associated feelings uh, and emotions with the thought, which is something that I didn't really understand growing up in my um, you know, childhood and, and adolescence throughout my athletics. Um, I used to, you know, people talk about visualization and how important it is to see yourself achieving, but um, you know, a lot of people would say, yeah, I'm doing this, but it's not really working for me. What they weren't understanding and what they weren't doing is associating the feeling, the thought, because that's what actually changes your subconscious mind because your subconscious mind doesn't know the difference, you know, when it's dreaming between reality until you obviously wake up. Right. So it's the, the feeling and the thought that actually changes your brain chemistry and your physiology and uh, secretion of hormones and what ultimately it manifests the, the changes of, you know, your, your new reality that you need to see yourself doing without you actually experience it in, in actual reality. If I explain that. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I'll be curious and anxious to see once you actually get back out and get the physical reps in to see if all of these mental reps and visualization for you have the same uh, benefit as they've had for Connor. Yeah, me as well. I hope. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully, that's the case. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the only way I'm going to think about it. So that's the only way you can. Right. So, so how I guess tell our listeners, or or if somebody's listening and you know they're realizing, oh wow, you know all these all this negative self talk and these um, you know, this, this thought process that goes through my head on a daily basis that I need to change. How can, how can we switch that? How can we make it more positive? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. Um, you know, most people define themselves from a memory of past experiences, you know, like not a vision of the future. Um, because when you do that, you're kind of stepping into the unknown and, you know, we've been conditioned I feel like as a society, at least Western society, uh, to think the unknown is scary, you know, but that's actually a place of, you know, unfamiliarity. That's where the manifestation comes from. So you should actually aim to be comfortable, you know, with being uncomfortable and being in the unknown. You know, our brains usually reflect everything we know in our life, right? Like, you know, the brain's a record of the past and emotions and are the end product of past experiences. So, you know, neurologically and biologically, chemically, like we're connected to a past. But the big question is, can you believe in a future that you can't experience with your senses yet, but you've thought about it enough where your brain is like changed to look like the experiences have actually already occurred? Uh, you know, neuroscience and research has shown us that it's actually possible. Um, if, you know, if we emotionally embrace it, then our unconscious mind believes that it's living in that new future reality, but in the present moment. You know, like our brains will signal genes to change our body to look like the experiences actually occurred in preparation of the event occurring. So therefore, like you're not waiting for success to happen or your well-being to happen or your wealth to happen or whatever it is that, you know, you're, you're looking for. It kind of that's the old model of reality effect. You know, it's the old model where you're waiting for something to happen on the outside to change the way you feel inside. So like, you know, the quantum model of reality is like, you have to teach your body how you're going to feel once you achieve whatever it is you want to achieve. So you have to actually feel it before it, it actually happens. So you, you can't define reality with our senses. Like, you know, you can't wait for something to happen to make you feel different. You have to um, change the way you feel inside. And then you know, whatever it is you're looking for will actually kind of ironically come find you. Listeners, I told you we were going to talk science with an, <laughs> with an Olympic level athlete. <laughs> that's my yeah, bringing it back to my academic days. I forgot what Adam were in there. Yeah, that's awesome. So, um, I guess break that down into like daily practices. Then, what what kind of stuff have you employed on a daily basis to make sure that this becomes a habit? Uh, maybe with a focus on things that our listeners can can put into their routine to start switching from that wait and hope model to a create the future mm -hmm. yeah great question yeah and so now it's one thing to know it right yeah now actually people have to actually execute it and implement it um and it took a while for me to one you know i knew about it i'm like okay great but it really is you just have to set time it's just time and effort to do it um and it was something that's easier said than done because we're all so busy these days and we want to achieve so much um you know and if you feel like you're taking time out for this maybe something that you don't believe in might be airy fairy it's hard to justify you know putting time into that when you have you know some tangible objectives that you need to conclude but um just you know give it a shot and whether it's my things in the morning because i just like to have that day uh set 
moving forward with my mindset, but also before bed is a great thing to do as well. So you can kind of choose, play with both, see what affects you differently. Um, and you know, like it's kind of like a form of meditating. I mean, people say, you know, quiet your mind, which is ideal, but realistically it's pretty tough to just quiet your mind. Uh, these thoughts are going to come in and, and then it's either a, let them, you know, kind of pass through or B, you're going to hold on to them and, and manifest that. But in terms of whatever it is you want, you can implement just picture what you would feel like. like. You know, you're not. It's like any other skill. You're not going to be good at it right away. And you might get frustrated, and you probably will. So there's no might. You will get frustrated that's, right away. That's a great point. I'm glad you mentioned that uh, because it is. It is something that it's. It's awkward. It's new. It's different. You've got to yeah. get through that. Uh, that awkward phase. So it, it does. It takes reps. It takes practice. Yeah, very tough. I mean, ten minutes sounds like nothing, but once you actually start doing, it, I, I couldn't even. Day for two minutes, never mind, you know. Um, but it's like anything else, you kind of just slowly uh, chip away and you have to stay patient and progress and just try to. The whole thing is, I mean, there's so many things to think about, but just try to really be specific as possible and create emotion. So, what would it feel like to have whatever it is you want? Really get a feel. So, not just the thought of it, but you know, how will you feel? How will people around you be? What will your day look like? What, you know, what will it feel like to? achieve that and the more you associate thought and emotion with it the more change that will happen yeah i think that's a really important point too because if you if you can really get there in your mind and and like you said tie those emotions to it when the when the visual reps are over the emotion is still with you in the now and you can you can live that day with that emotion right then um yeah so and that it's kind of like a self-perpetuating machine at that point exactly Okay. Yeah, well said. Because you really won't know, right? You're not, you're not going to feel some magical change. I mean, if you hooked up a brain monitor and you looked at your brain waves, then you'd be able to find objectively. But I mean, who has that at their disposal at their own home? So right. um, you just kind of have to stay patient and it's, it's an ongoing process. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a daily practice. Awesome. Awesome. Let's shift gears just a little bit, Josh. You, um, you're, you're a really busy guy. You, you travel a lot. You've got training. You've got competition. You've got the chiropractic work. How do you manage it all? How do you stay on top of your game with all of that travel? Yeah, um, it's, you know, it was anything else. Again, it was a skill and I wasn't great at it at the beginning. Um, and it's trial and error. And you just have to find, be efficient, I guess, because you're not going to be able to take on everything. You have to find, you know, kind of the 80-20 rule of where you're going to get the most bang for your buck and where the most investment will come back on a return. So um, it's just something that I've had to, you know, play with. and um, But pretty much just be set and be overly um, structured in terms of what's going to happen when and just have, you know, minimize my distractions because that's what I feel sometimes when you're kind of starting, especially maybe being successful, you know, it's like easy to kind of maybe get a little complacent and, you know, lose that chip. But I feel like the more that you stay focused and grounded, even with that success is, um, you know, it'll make it easier to still stay in the moment and not lose, uh, lose yourself there. Okay. So let's go one at a time through a couple of these things that you have to deal with and, and you kind of give us what you found works for you. Does that sound good? Cool. Um, so like flying, for example, um, I know that's one where even just the, the regular person, when you fly, you feel off. You can't do that as a professional athlete. You've got to perform at an incredibly high level. So what have you found to hit the ground running and, and jumping at your highest? 
Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. That was something that I kind of underestimated when I went to the international scene after national. You know, you progress from your region to your national, and then once you're the best in your country, then you head to the world tour. And um, it's not, you know, when you don't have your own bed and your own food and whatnot, it uh, totally doesn't matter how great of a player you are. If you're not in the right feeling, like you said, a little off, it'll totally affect you. So that was something that I had to uh, adjust with. But um, for me, flying specifically, I mean, hydration, I kind of underestimated, you know, how important that was. And I do that before the plane. I used to just, you know, try to do that once I'm on, but you really can't get enough proper fluids and not just the fluids, um, you know, certain chemicals and electrolytes. Like I have a great sponsor with Q Energy and uh, quercetin is a significant um, part of that um, and you know bioflavonoid that increase the number of mitochondria in your cells so it also inhibits like replication of the rhinovirus which as we know sometimes is the cause of the actual common cold so uh, that's something that you have to watch out for when you're flying because of you know air particles and stuff yeah so again for for people that haven't seen our blog we've got a great blog on that on optimal performance but we we have to reiterate that there's no fresh air on an airplane. It's all recirculated. Correct. So uh, right. if the guy in the front row sneezes and you're in the back, don't think that just because there's space between you that that's not coming your way. <laughs> right. And ironically, actually, the farther back you are on the plane, the more you'll be you know, receiving that um, the air quality. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, yeah, no, that's for sure. Definitely you, you mentioned um, mitochondria. How can boosting mitochondria help with um, that, that kind of jet lag or flight? Uh, disrupting our optimal performance. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, in terms of theoretically, I don't know too much. I mean, I know it does kind of help with, um, it's an antioxidant, so it'll help prevent cell damage from free radicals and whatnot. But um, yeah, it's something that I've found have kind of kept my immune system up and my energy um, at a high level. And I don't mean like, you know, a stimulant energy. I just mean like a focused kind of non-off energy um, that's going to be combating what I deal with in, in the plane. And also not just that, but other electrolytes like, you know, sodium, potassium, magnesium, all that. And, you know, Ultima is one of my other sponsors and they're great with what they have and provide. So I find the combination of those two really, uh, you know, keep me, keep me in a good space. Yeah. And I, I guess one of the reasons that I specifically asked that question is I know you and, and I both are Bulletproof Ambassadors. Um, Unfair Advantage is a yeah. mitochondrial booster, the, the BioPQQ, which is yeah. also in uh, Mitogen from Axon Labs, which is our sister company. So uh, right. if, if you're looking to experiment with mitochondrial boosters, both of those are great ways to do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the unfair advantage. Um, it was a huge help too. And kind of Dave came out with that product. It was great. Um, I'll take that sublingually and kind of hold it under there for, you know, five, 10 minutes or whatever I can. And it's something that I've found a big difference with. So that's a great product for sure. Cool. So let's move on from flying to just general recovery. Um, like you said, not being in your bed, uh, not being able to get ideal meals. I know like food and sleep are probably two of the biggest recovery tools that we have. So, so if those can't be optimal, how do you optimize what you've got? Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, well, physically I'll wear like, you know, compression socks and compression pants uh, just for obviously avoiding pooling and and uh, swelling and whatnot. That'll be huge. Um, and doing like, you know, a, for recovery, a light aerobic exercise and putting my legs up just to kind of flush out the lactic acid and um, what I've dealt with. So I find that actually helps a lot, just kind of draining the uh, the blood down and obviously proper stretching um you know it's something that we need the older we get but a lot of people overlook that um but i say properly stretching too because i you know i've seen a lot of people do something that they think is stretching and they're not really actually uh, hitting the right areas so, so put, put on your medical hat and tell us what <laughs> what proper stretching is right i mean it's something that you know it depends if it's pre or post 
um, activity. I've seen a lot of people do, you know, slow passive stretching before an activity. And I'm like, well, that's actually, you know, counter, uh, productive to what you want, because when you're doing an activity, you're contracting your muscles. So you're actually shortening them when they contract. So if you're passively lengthening them, your power output is now going to be decreased. Mm-hmm. What you want to do is kind of activate it in, in a dynamic stretching way. If you're a goalie for hockey or whatever, you know, you're going to be doing some splits. You don't want to just hang out there. You want to actively let your legs kind of go out, but you're still contracting eccentrically on the way out. And, you know, you can apply that to all different um, areas and then after you're done yes passive slow you know you want to lengthen your stretch because you've been contracting this whole activity period and then for your recovery you want your muscle to be at length because if you're always contracted in the in the uh, small kind of range that will uh, limit your range of motion so it's really important to differentiate between those between those two i should have known the canadian would use hockey as an example <laughs> you know i grew up in that right so that's like my love <laughs> no, but th- but that's perfectly explained and, and very well done. Uh, so I appreciate that because I mean that's something that as a as a strength coach and gym owner for years I've had that conversation with people. It's it's the dynamic, it's movement prep before and then the passive uh, or static stretching afterwards. So yeah, exactly, or rolling or whatnot. Yeah, exactly. Well, take a step back and let's just clarify. You mentioned compression socks and pants. You're wearing those on the flight or after activity, both. Definitely both on the plate for sure because that's when the swelling will happen to occur. And for us, there's no real kind of too much downtime between tournaments. I mean, literally every weekend, um, it's in a different city, different country. So whenever you happen to uh, leave the tournament, whether you win it or you know get knocked out early, you're on the flight and you're off to the next tournament starting in a couple of days. So you don't really have a lot of time to uh, you know waste trying to recalibrate and getting the swelling down. So it's they're not comfortable. They're not easy to put on. But <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel the first time I did it. I thought I was just going to rip them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because you have to pull that hard to actually get them on yeah. properly. Yeah. So, yeah, sure. what kind of hacks or, or strategies have you come up with to eat the on the road as close as you would eat at home? Because I think that's an important realization: is it's not going to be exactly like it was at home. Yeah. Let's let's okay. Let's let go of this idea of perfect and let's just make it as good as possible, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. No, that's, that's true. And supplementation is, is huge because sometimes when you're in, let's say, China, you know, you're not getting the, uh, the quality food that you could want. And sometimes you don't really know what you're eating. So you kind of need to uh, make sure that, you know, you have something that, you know, um, really helps. I mean, yeah, the natural stacks, obviously your product is great. I'm not just saying that because I'm on here because when I first, you know, saw your guys' products and same thing with Bulletproof, I'm only really associated with stuff that I'll use myself and I truly believe in. But uh, yeah, when I get up in the morning, it's um, so tip first i feel that gets me straight right on with a big glass of water and some um salt it's got to be mountain salt of course from either himalayans or the ecuadorian andes or something and then uh, a lemon just for the uh, ironically it actually gets your blood more basic with ph even though it's an acidic fruit i don't know if yeah. people know that but uh and then i'll start off with like krill oil vitamin d3 which is uh really important in the beginning and keeping you healthy on the road um, and then uh, I'll, I'll take some serotonin, the brain food. That just gets me in the great mood um, to start the day, whether it's a training day or more so competition day because obviously it's super important to have a positive mindset and outlook when you're in the highest pressure situation. So that's something that I really feel um, is beneficial. Um, and then I'll kind of just do a light activity session in the morning just after taking those super light just to get the blood flowing. And then I'll have actually breakfast after that. Um, 
depending on what's there. And if not, you know, I'll kind of have a shake with spirulina. Giddy Yo-Yo is one of my other sponsors and they do great with chlorella tabs. And I'll throw in um, your natural protein, which is huge for me. I'm actually pretty <laughs> sensitive with certain proteins I can take, but uh, I don't have any digestion proteins when I take the natural stacks. Uh, stuff. Uh, so that's, we, we, yeah. love, we love hearing that. And, and I'll actually second that. Our way is the only way that I'll use um, because I have issues with anything else. Yeah, yeah, me as well. I didn't really, you know, think about that. But uh, yeah, before the protein I was taking, I just thought that, you know, that much gas was proper. But <laughs> to be perfectly honest, but uh, yeah, after switching over, uh, I find the world of a difference. So yeah. uh, it's really huge. And then uh, before my game or my training, I'll I'll have some smart caffeine, which is amazing because I wasn't actually a, t- a fan of taking caffeine before I played because with volleyball, you need to be amped, but, you know, skills like passing and you need to be very kind of zen as well and you can't be over line and that's a fine line if you kind of get – because pressure is already going to enhance, you know. Your, right. That, that adrenaline is flowing because you're competing. You've got people watching. It's, I mean, it's, it's game day. Like you're, yeah. you're amped up. That's right? right. That's right. Yeah, for sure. So the smart caffeine, um, really, I found with that three knee combined has, uh, you know, really allowed me to be stimulated and tense while also having that calm. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. And then I'll have the biocreatine because I know how important that is for your muscle cell activation. Um, also the BCAAs with the beta alanine that gets me in the, the ideal state. And I've been giving it to my partner. So he's kind of fired up and thanks. He's like, how am I going to do this? You know, when you retire and I'm going to have to keep this going, find all the right, you know, concoctions, what to take when. uh, Yeah. He's, he's loving that. And then I'll take the dopamine brain food before I get there just to be super alert and on point. So, um, that's kind of my, uh, my go-to. And then before bed, I'll, I'll have the, the mag tech and the prebiotic. And I feel that helps huge with recovery and ready to go the next day because we're kind of, there's no real days off, you know, so you don't really have a chance to kind of just, you know, have a whole day to recover. So you need to be as efficient, um, you know, and hack as much as possible, really. Yeah. And I think the way that our society is moving, that's so true for all of us now. I mean, it's, it's a luxury to be able to take uh, even a Saturday or a Sunday for folks and, and have the whole day to recover. So right. you've, you've got to really focus on practices that maximize, you know, recovery and, and hit multiple, you know, it's kill, kill multiple birds with as, you know, as few stones as possible. Right. Yeah. Very true. Very true. It's all about efficiency. Yeah. So, um, in your practice, um, are, are you using the supplements? Are, are you seeing the, um, the same benefits with these supplements with, with the people that you treat in your practice? Yeah, I mean, I uh, this past year, specifically because Olympics are coming up, I kind of decreased the amount of time I put into my practice. Um, but before, when I first came on, yeah, I was uh, actually it's so funny with the serotonin because, you know, I give one of my good friends um, all these, you know, new products that I feel are, are beneficial. And, you know, I, he's close to me where he doesn't have to pump my tires and let me know if, you know, he doesn't feel anything. And, um, you know, he took the for the for when serotonin came out. I gave him that. I was like, give it a shot. You know, it's it's not like you it, it, with SSRIs. You know, you don't have to worry about having the uptake. It's a healthy way. Um, you know, and I heard Abel speak about it. And I gave him the podcast, and it was great. And he loved that. And uh, you know, it's something that's natural, and it's it's the precursors. You know, because when you right. see the serotonin, he's like, why are we taking your serotonin? I'm like, no, yeah. it's actually you know, it's five HTP, and it's it's a natural way. So. 
So he takes it anyways. It's funny. The next day, <clears throat> he calls me. He's like, I don't know if I just had a great workout or you know I ate something good, but I've been finding myself waving at people I don't even know, holding the door open, just having. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's somebody he wouldn't tell me that because other products he tried with like other companies. He's like, Nah, no, I didn't really you know feel it to me. So I just right. found that pretty comical that uh, you know he told me that. So it's it's pretty cool and interesting to uh, have something that you can safely take in a consistent basis that has that effect. It's really tough to find a product that you can combine those two. Yeah, I think what what you said the the consistent effect um, that's a big thing. I mean, with mm. us with us being open sourced, you know, it's right there on the label, and every dose is going to be the exact same. So I think that's yeah. something that is lost um, when you use proprietary blends. So yes, yeah, it's very true, and it's great too. I mean, because it's all you know, WADA World Anti Doping Association um, approved. Because uh, well, we got tested many times and never did anything back yet. So that's a great but, point. That's a great point. We because I know we've got a lot of strength coaches and, and other collegiate or, or other athletes. We've got some major league baseball players that that use our products too. So um, people who are being drug tested regularly are using Natural Stacks products and not having any issues um, with compliance by governing bodies. So yeah, that's correct. It was kind of when I first kind of gave all you know like the pills. It looks like even though you realize they're just veggie pills with natural inside. He's like, well, there's just so much. I was like, well, that's what it takes to be optimal. And you know, he's like, are we gonna get you know this and that? Because you know, he's younger. He doesn't know I'm teaching him. I was like, no. And then uh, obviously, like you said, we've been tested many times and haven't heard anything yet. So um, it's definitely nice to be able to have access to something so powerful and uh, you know safe. Awesome, awesome. So we'll kind of shift towards like movement patterns and and what what you're seeing as a chiropractor. Um, what kind of hacks can our listeners implement? Um, because we are, you know, we're crammed into an airplane, we're crammed into a desk, we're, you know, in the car. Something that I think a lot of people don't think about is that the headrest makes your face stick way forward instead of being back here where it's supposed to be. So what are some things that, you know, some common issues that you notice in your practice and some things that, you know, folks can implement to um, feel better and move better? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. A lot of people don't even realize, you know, you have that interior neck carriage going on because um, it's not, you know, you're not objectively looking at yourself and subjectively you can't really feel it if it's normal for you doing that all the time. But uh, yeah, I mean, like, like you said, we're an anterior kind of dominated society from, like you said, sitting in desks and airplanes and looking forward. So, um, you know, driving and looking at our phones and whatnot. So, uh, you know, the front of our body is always being shortened and kind of inhibited. And then the length, the, the back is kind of being lengthened. So uh, that leads to things called like upper and lower cross syndromes, which pretty much means like, you know, your pecs get tight um, and your rounded shoulders and your hips and your abdomen gets weak and your glutes get weak and your hip flexors get tight. So that's something that we need to totally reverse and you need to actually lengthen the front of your body and strengthen kind of the back, the posterior chain. So, um, you know, there's ways to do that. Uh, something called foundation training, which is great if you look that up. Um, it's uh, it's all about posterior strengthening um, the, the chain, but you, know, you can do that anywhere, which is great. It's all calisthenics, it's all body weights, and um, working on you know your glutes as well, um, glute medius specifically because that's the uh, stabilizer of the hips, and you know everything comes from the hips, and that's the core. So if we can um, you know strengthen the posterior and 
uh, length in the front. So whether that means you know standing desks, I heard they've been implementing that in school these days. And, yeah. And workplace. Yeah. It's it's great theoretically. I mean, obviously, it's like orthotics. You know, you can't just be in them first time all day, and then you know <laughs> you're obviously going to be worse the next day. But it's something that you know an hour one day and two hours the next day, and um, you know those those big whatever the kinesiology balls. You're just taking a time just to lay back and really stretch out the front. And um, you know if you're if you're going to be in this creep position, creeps means when your tissue is in a shortened state for a certain amount of time. It thinks that that new shortened length is the proper length and if you don't do anything to kind of re reset that length it's uh it's going to be there you know all the time so that's something that's really important for sure awesome very cool so i, I guess that's going to tell us a little bit about your approach to training and physical performance then we want to um strengthen what's weakening and lengthen or stretch what's shortening and tightening right that's correct yep so how does what does that look like for you in in your physical training yeah the point is i mean even for myself and some of my patients it's all about your goal should be to like increase your tissues tolerance to the load you'll be putting on that so whether it's you know world class athletics or just normal sitting at a desk uh, whatever the load your tissue is going to be under you want to be able to make sure that your tissue can handle that load because if it goes past the load that's when failure happens and the problem is we don't really get warning signs when it's approaching, you know, sometimes some of my patients will be bend over and pick up a pencil and they blow their back out on their disc. I'm like, oh, all I did was pick up a pencil. And it's like, well, you were doing the wrong things for so long, but there's no real warning sign. And then all it takes is that one little, you know, straw and that's where it comes back. So it's something that, you know, prevention and maintenance is way more important than treating the symptoms. Um, you know, so that's, that's really important as well. But also when you're doing like cardiovascular, you know, a lot of people are asking me what's kind of the best way. Uh, and really it's, you know, I don't have that much time. And I'm like, well, the beauty of what the research says is the best and what I found is the same. I mean, research is one thing, but just do what makes you feel better. And you'd find that doing a high intensity for a short amount of time is better than uh, a suboptimal intensity for a long time. So you can go hard and then take a break and, and go hard again and rest. And when you are pumping um, you know, blood through your body that speed, um, that's actually healthier for the heart. You can do it in 20 minutes maximum, not even maybe 10 or 15. Um, but also, you know, you're teaching your body to burn the fat stores because if you're going for a long period of time at a suboptimal, your body's thinking, well, frig, I'm going to need my fat stores for a half an hour away or an hour away <laughs> or something, right? Whereas yeah. if you're kind of burning it down and resting it now, it's like, okay, I can actually rest and recharge so I don't need to worry about saving it. So yeah, there's multifactorial reasons why that type of training is optimal. Yeah, I always uh, equated it to the way you drive. If you want to be fuel efficient when you drive, you kind of coast up to a red light or you know you slowly accelerate away as, okay. as opposed to if you wanted to drive uh as fuel inefficiently as possible you're gonna race off the starting line when the light turns green and slam on the brakes and right yeah, yeah. that's a good analogy actually. very true awesome. so uh burn it blow through as much fuel as possible right <laughs> that's pretty much the uh the end goal there so i think like you'd be like the the athlete or the the optimal performer's dream uh medical professional because i think there there's the stereotype of, of a medical professional being somebody who's kind of out of touch with uh, being a physical performer um where i think obviously you have that side uh being an olympic athlete so how do you think that helps you relate to the people that you treat do you think you treat do you think it affects who comes in to see you um because they're aware of that uh 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, ironically, that's kind of one of the main reasons I became a chiropractor because the people who were treating me that I was doing sports, they didn't really know what it was like. You know, they're like, well, just stop doing this and do this. I'm like, well, I can't stop. You know, I would love to. I get it. I would be way better. But the reality is I can't. So how can I still get better? Maybe I won't get better as fast, but still on that path to recovery while still training. Um, yeah. And, you know, even people in my school, you know, read exams and get a hundred percent theoretically, and then it comes to actual treatments, uh, and they don't really know the exact area to treat where to touch. Cause you know, when we learn from books, it's like, it's just 2d, right. Or two dimensional right. versus like a human body of 3d. So in terms of the amount of pressure to do, um, so, you know, learning theoretics is, is one thing, but me being able to grow up, uh, being treated by all different kinds of, uh, practitioners really helped me understand what really helps, um, because everybody's different. So for me to experience that it's definitely a big factor in my in my choice to become a chiropractor. Cool, and, and I'm sure that you know with everything that you've studied and, and everything that you do, there's probably an element of that like holistic approach to your practice and treatment as well, right? Yeah, definitely, especially uh, as chiropractic. But uh, and ironically, my school was huge into science and research. I mean, as it should be, um, and that was a big part. But what I'm learning now is kind of you know because that's our Western society, right? So that's kind of how we have to know. But I'm getting you know I'm understanding the power of the Eastern philosophy with the spiritual and the mind body connection and um, how important that is because you can't really can't have one without the other. Both are important in itself, but if you're not you know synchronizing them, then uh, you know, it's an uphill battle that uh, probably won't be. Recognized for sure. Awesome. Awesome. So before we ask you for your top three tips, tell our <laughs> listeners where they can get more of you um, and even follow your, your volleyball season. Okay. Yeah. Um, my website's drjoshbinstock.com. Um, so I'll have uh, it's a dual site kind of. I have my chiropractic area as well for, for schedule and location and whatnot. And then also have my athletic Olympic side from there for people that want to keep up with uh, the schedule and results and what's happening. Um, and then social media is all the same too, Dr. Josh Binstock. So you got Instagram, you know, Facebook, Twitter. Um, so I'll be also updating through those as well. Okay. So tell our listeners where your practice is. Um, it well, it's in Toronto. Okay, um, but uh, this specific yeah last um, year I've kind of pulled away from the clinic just because yeah. my schedule is so intense with training. I still do treatments, but it's more privately based, so I'm still available for that. But it's not a structured schedule at a clinic this year. And then once I after Olympics, I'll get back on that again. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's that time. Your top three tips to live optimal. Um, okay. Drop some knowledge on us. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to uh, think about what you know is, isn't uh, kind of oversaid, but still important. Um, at least for myself, what really resonated with me and, and what um, contributed to how uh, I was able to achieve. Um, I'd say the first thing though is, is to surround yourself either with people that have achieved what you want to achieve, or I mean, if you can't surround yourself, find somebody and study that person that's achieved. Uh, or done what you want to do, whether you know whatever that is. If that's athletics, business, relationships, uh, artistic, you know, just I, I wouldn't suggest like learning or studying from the person who's studied the person that's done that. You know, <laughs> instead of the actual person himself, because there's so many books on different, you know, building wealth and whatnot, but uh, or, or succeeding under pressure. You know, unless that person have really um, has done that themselves, I, I would say that's a really important thing because you know you have to be conscious 
when studying excellence, you know, and thinking about your own path to excellence, because you got to make sure you're, you're focusing on like the direct experience of those who've been there, you know, versus though, like I would call them the armchair generals, you know, yeah, yeah. the the ones who are talking about it, you know, right? Because you know, like the final path to excellence, you know, it's about like, you know, you can get ninety eight percent there, but the final whatever two percent is about crossing that, you know, thin ice. But you have to be willing to go up against, you know, an enormous like misstep on that ice. And I find that's the difference with the armchair generals. They don't really understand what it's like to be on that thin ice and taking, you know, you have to risk that one round step to get to the other side, but, you know, you have to do it. Um, and just being able to, you have to improvise and trust your intuition, especially in the moments where, like, you know, maybe all the logic and reasoning is telling you one thing, but your, your intuition is functioning at a higher level. And um, you have to just be willing to go up against the brink of disaster, you know, in pressure-filled moments, especially like, you know, at the world championships or at the Olympics, uh, you, you know, you have to like listen truly and internally to the core of your being, I feel, and, and you, you build your strategy from there and, and trusting your gut. Um, you know, I'm building a lifestyle around listening to that because uh, it's not easy to do. It's one thing to know it, but I find that, you know, many people are kind of scared to let go of their rationale and their reasoning under times of intense pressure uh, and to let their intuition take over. But I find that those people that are able to do that are the ones who can get into, you know, the flow state, according to uh, Stephen Kotler, and, um, and perform optimally. And that's, that's actually one of the prerequisites of getting into flow, um, not even athletically, I mean, for sure, too, a business-wise relationships and conversations and whatnot is to, yeah, just go with your intuition under intense moments. And then once you, once you feel that you're kind of just free and, and not really thinking, just doing feeling. So you mentioned flow and, and Stephen Kotler, that's a book that's come up a few times on the podcast. If, if okay. you guys listening have not read that book, please go get it now. The rise of Superman, Stephen Kotler. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a special book. I actually gave it to my uh, beach partner. I don't know if he'll he'll want me to be saying this on air, but I think he's confident enough where he doesn't really care if people know this now. But um, you know, before when he was he's ten years younger than me, right? So he's way younger. But the skills he has is is astronomical. Uh, he's the only person from Canada in the history of beach volleyball to win the junior, like the world championships for a junior. Nobody else has done that. And um, when I watched him play, he always had you know the amazing physical skill. Um, when we first started playing, you know, if he if he started off the game. Great, you know, he could, he had the confidence, he's feeling good, and he could do that whole game. But if he started off the match not that great, he wasn't able to kind of turn it around and, and come back up. And, and that's where it was, and we were dealing with that. Anyway, so I read the book, like you said, and uh, that was one of the prerequisites, along with many others, but is to, you need to get into flow, you need to feel overwhelmed and anxious and, and scared. And, and, um, you know, I showed him that book, and he read that. Anyway, so one of the matches later after I read the book, Started off poorly, and I was kind of thinking, ah, you know, here we go again. And he just turned it around and um, won the match pretty much single-handedly. Kind of. <laughs> and I was like, dude, how did uh, I love that that worked, but how did that happen? And um, oh, I asked him, you know, how did you do that? And um, he said uh, it was the book because he realized, okay, well, once now he's, you know, under pressure, he's panicking, you know, he's not doing well. He's freaking out. Now he's like, oh, okay, well, I can still get into flow because that's one of the prerequisites. And it's just his mindset was like, well, all I got to do is kind of let go and go with my intuition. And, uh, you know, he was able to turn around. I mean, it's one thing to be able to know it, to do it. That's what makes him a, such a special player. But uh, the fact that he was able to apply those principles was uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, that's very cool. Very cool. Mm -hmm. All right. So how many, uh, how many tips have we gotten? Is that one? Is that one? <laughs> that's one amazing tip. <laughs> yeah, I guess that was only one. Um, the other one, I mean, I'd say a little cliche-ish, but, you know, just have love and passion in, in what you do. Um, 
like I know it does sound, sound cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. You know, even if you're in a situation where you're not loving it, you gotta, you have to find some kind of positive perspective. You know, I'm, as my brother always says, you know, I'm, I'm here visiting him in Vancouver for the week, but he's just like, you know, find that silver lining. He was huge in my recovery and, and my uh, mindset. Uh, you know, I have to find that positive in every situation because you know, even if your conscious mind thinks you're not liking it, you know, you can make your unconscious mind think that you like it. And, you know, if you continually tell your subconscious <laughs> mind you're loving something, you know, you eventually will, which is yeah. you know, surprising to hear that. That's actually true, but uh, you would never guess that. So, yeah, because, I mean, I've observed that with people who found the most pleasure and, like, happiness in life. They, like, they really have a profound passion for what they do. And uh, it's not just the big moments. It's easy to love that part when you're under the spotlight, but it's it's the little moments that, that they love, you know, the other moments that others would maybe call painful and tedious. You know, they learn to love the practice. The, the, they learn to love the challenges and the struggles throughout their journey, and that's, that's what really makes uh, them special and, and successful. Awesome. That's a very good one. Cool. Uh, okay. And the third would be, uh, I mean, I'm all about resilience because that's something that I've, I've felt is so important. And I'm seeing, you know, when I speak to um, some corporations or, or some schools, uh, they, everybody, I feel like in our Western society, everybody's trying to avoid failure. I mean, of course, we know why you want to avoid failure. You want to win, of course. But um, it, it's, it's about choosing, because it's not about, well, why did that happen to me? Everybody deals with failure, setbacks of some sorts, and I don't think people even realize that. So, it's it, you know, I was talking, Mike Babcock. He's currently the, uh, of course, going back to hockey, the Toronto Maple Leafs coach, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, he's actually Team Canada gold medal uh, winning coach of the last two Olympics and for hockey. And he, we actually had an Olympic summit series last week in Toronto. Uh, Canada flew all the Olympians in, from around the country to this. A week of, of excellent series they call it just to prepare for Rio, what to expect and also motivate. So Mike Babcock was one of the uh, uh, speakers, and you know I was fortunate enough to spend some time speaking with him after that. <clears throat> and uh, you know he's big on that because one of the sayings I read in his book, you know, is like it's ten percent of what happens to you and ninety percent of how you react. You know, and he's all about you can choose your attitude no matter what happens to you. Um, and obviously, you know, if something bad happens to you, you're going to be emotionally upset initially. So nobody is saying. You know, don't be upset about it. You're going to be upset because we can't control our emotions. Um, you know, we control our thoughts. But, uh, you know, after, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, once you've gone over the emotional part, how do you react moving forward and what your next course of action in your mindset is moving forward? Because, um, yeah, like I said before, like kind of the out, I feel like a lot of the society, Western culture focuses on the outcome, uh, whether, you know, they win or lose or succeed or not versus the process. And, um, you know, it's it's really important to focus on the process because these setbacks are, you know, if you enjoy that part and you see the setbacks as periods of opportunity to grow instead of being, you know, upset about it, and then you'll realize that's actually, you know, you're okay with that. And then the more you focus on the process, ironically, the, the outcome will actually uh, be Take, there. Because, yeah, it uh, kind of takes care of itself, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you wouldn't, you know, think it, uh, it's kind of counterintuitive. But, I mean, it's like there's, people are always going to be, scared to fail and anybody I feel that says they're not even world-class performers I think maybe their ego might be talking a little bit for them instead of the vulnerability because you just need to have a working relationship with fear of failure uh, you know if you speak to any world-class performer they'll tell you that like they still feel fear um, they just know how to channel it you know and work with it so I, I feel that this idea or this term of fearlessness is kind of like a, a false idea that's created from like the outside or a spectator uh, you know people do feel it but they just harness the fear the nerves the anxiety and you know they have a working relationship and they convert that into intensity um, you know I think yeah uh, you know Elon Musk or whatever right this guy like, who would you know you SpaceX and Tesla and how yeah successful 
things. And everybody, you know, sees that. But really, I mean, nobody knows that his first three SpaceX launches were failures. Like, they failed. And it was so expensive, clearly. And he, you know, just kept believing in himself. He's like, oh, I have to, you know, I have to do this. And he actually had to go to investors to, to find the funds for the, the fourth launch, and which succeeded. But, I mean, I don't think many people know that. They just see him now. But in terms of, and he definitely said he, he was feeling fear and failure, um, for the fourth one. But, um, you know, I don't think greatness comes from not having fears. I think it just comes from moving past those fears. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. That's something that um, I, I shared this uh, in something that I wrote to some of my coaching clients um, and, and some folks on um, on my personal website. But um, I, I got to see, uh, when I was in Austin last week, um, they had the, the, the NFL Network, and I saw the retirement special on Brett Favre. And they were kind of paralleling the story with some interviews with him that were conducted after the fact. And they were talking about him coming back as a Viking and playing against the Packers. And in the interview, he admits to being terrified. He says, you know, I I was, I was beyond scared. And, And I don't remember the exact quote, but he's like, man, he's like, I've never been so scared in my life, but you know, he went out and, and he did what he does. He trusted his training. He trusted his body. I mean, at that point, he's a veteran. His body knows what to do. If you can just turn your head off and, yeah. and, and do, you know, be present, be in the moment and do what you're supposed to do. And in those two games against the wow. Packers, he threw for seven touchdowns, zero, <laughs> zero interceptions, <laughs> and they beat the Packers both times. You oh, know, wow, so that's amazing. So I mean, yeah, like I guess the the point of that is to echo what you're saying mm-hmm. is that you know even people at the highest level get scared, they get terrified, uh, yeah. but you do it anyway. Because yeah, uh, exactly. what else are you going to do? Are you, you're just going to regret not doing it after that fact? Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of what I was saying. Like, you know, the armchair generals—they're just—they don't—they're scared to put to the brink and risk utter catastrophe. You know, a lot of people don't want to risk that, and then they'll they'll self sabotage. You know, and I'm trying to tell these kids that I'm like, you know, when you guys, I know you're in high school, you think that's the end all, like your life is this is it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But uh, and you'll see that, and that's when the ego is is forming, and that's when everybody's posturing, and it's like I I said, I tell the kids, I'm like, look around and, and kind of just be very observant, and the people that are secure with themselves, like. Brett obviously can, can say this kind of stuff and be okay with it instead of, you know, if you're about to race somebody and they say, oh, I had a killer workout on my leg yesterday, you know, just, just subtly <laughs> just putting in there. If it doesn't happen, they have a reason, you know, or if they're about to come to an exam and they're, ah, I didn't really study that much or whatever, you know, trying to be all cool. But, you know, it's the ones that are secure with themselves to be like, I did study and I failed and I learned and I'm going to be better. And, you know, that's what I said. And you guys, when you're graduated from school and 10 years after that, you're going to be thankful for all that stuff. It's hard to know that now, of course, but, you know, that's definitely a message to try to, uh, push yeah and relating it back to to your partner uh, in that specific match where if it starts bad and you start replaying in your head oh well i I made this mistake and i did this wrong and i should have done that if you continue down that pathway then the rest of the game is going to go negatively because you're not focused on you know the hit or the shot that's happening right now Um, but if you can can let that go and, and be in the moment that's that's how you get in the flow state and like you said if you just focus on the process then the outcome generally takes care of itself yeah 100 percent. that's exactly true so awesome well dr josh this has been a great podcast i am very grateful for you hanging out with us today thanks for sharing all of this and pleasure we really look forward to seeing you in rio we wish you the best hope the recovery continues to kick ass and uh yeah 
I, I may have to cheer for Team Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell anybody that. It's just between you and me. Right? Yeah, just between you and me, right? Yeah. But uh, no, I appreciate it. Have a lot of fun, Ryan. All right, Josh. Hey, so for all you guys listening, make sure you head over to OptimalPerformance.com see the video version. Uh, we'll have links to everything that we talked about, so you can just one-click and go right to uh, Josh's website, uh, any of his social media accounts, anything that we talked about here that will help you optimize your life. And if you guys like the Optimal Performance Podcast, if it helps you, think about somebody in your life that can benefit from listening to either this episode or the podcast in general and share it with them so that we can help optimize more lives and move this thing forward. Um, That's it. Thank you guys for listening. And we'll talk to you next Thursday. Start optimizing your mental and physical performance. Optimize yourself.